This is the Create Yourself Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Create Yourself Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing the Brian Borstein. Brian is the 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 devil mind behind Paragon Training and Evolve Training Systems. He quite possibly could be one of the most talented programmers that I've ever had the privilege of having a conversation with. Today, he dropped some heavy knowledge bombs throughout the entire conversation. I thought our conversation was going to go for an hour. We ended up going for about an hour and 15 minutes. We probably could have went for another hour if we needed to. There was just so much value being put out. We jumped into performance, bodybuilding, everything around aesthetics, um, being efficient in the gym. There, there was a thousand different topics that we touched on and there was so much value given. But do me a favor, before we jump into this episode, I want you to go ahead and take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram, and I want you to tag Brian and I. Brian on Instagram is at Brian Borstein and I am at the CF7C coach. Do me a favor, Take that screenshot, put it on your Instagram. We want to know who we're reaching, who's getting impacted, and who is getting value from this amazing conversation. Now, I'm going to go ahead and quiet down. I'm going to go ahead and let my man Brian jump on here and drop some heavy knowledge bombs. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so Brian, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Create Yourself podcast today. I'm really excited for everybody to hear who you are. Uh, Again, we talked a little bit before we started recording and uh, super intrigued by how you program, how you view fitness, how you view programming. Uh, and I'm just really excited for people to hear your story. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, man, I'm just really happy to be on here with you and uh, should be good based on kind of our pre, pre-talk, uh, pre-show talk. We, I think that, uh, that we're going to vibe pretty well. I know that when I had Cody on here, it would just, it seemed like two programming heads just, you know, talking shop. It was pretty cool to have uh, that conversation. So really intrigued to have it with you also. Dig that. Awesome. So for those of you, for those people who don't know who you are, can you give us a little feedback or a little uh, backstory on who you are, your background, how you found your way into what you're doing, et cetera? Yeah, um, started training in uh, 1997, so I was 15 years old at the time, um, pushing that 37 now, almost 37. So um, been a ways, gone through a lot of kind of different types of training methodologies and approaches over the course of time. And, um, I guess when, uh, when I first started, my goal was just to get in shape, to compete with the older kids on the basketball court. I was a freshman in high school and hadn't hit puberty yet. So I knew I needed a little bit of, uh, of extra struggle. strength. What? No, I said the struggle. Yeah, man. Super real. So, um, I was actually really late in puberty and, uh, thank God for, for weightlifting to be able to keep me to the same level physically as a lot of the guys that could already grow beards and, and all that good stuff. So, um, so I started training mostly on like an abbreviated style program, um, which I think was actually perfect for starting out as a, uh, as a newbie. Um, I found a, a group of community online, right when online was even becoming a thing. And um, they basically told me to, to train five by five twice a week. So, you know, one push, one pull, and a leg squat movement. Um, same thing on the other day, push, pull, leg, or squat, uh, sorry, lower body or squat movement. Mm-hmm. So I had deadlift on one day, squat on one day, and then I had like a bench and pull up on one day and an overhead press and a bent over row on the other day. So literally just did uh, twice a week training and got 
fucking phenomenal results uh, <laughs> strength really quickly and the best part was it wasn't like I you know stumbled across a muscle magazine where they were trying to have me work out six days a week with like 20 sets per body part because I couldn't play basketball if I was you know, training that much and putting that much stress on my body so I think it was kind of a blessing that I found the abbreviated approach to begin with um, and I did that all the way up through the majority of high school um, until I went to college and started kind of following more of the bro split style, um, chest one day, back one day, always put arms on Friday cause I was super hungover. So it was easy <laughs> to go into the gym and, and flip flops and, and do some preacher curls or whatever. So, um, that was college, man, four years of bro split and just trying to uh, meet as many girls as possible. And, um, post-college, went into the corporate grind, hated life, continued bro-splitting, and um, in about 2009, my buddy Anders moved out here. He's uh, the host of the Barbell Shrugged podcast now, and uh, we opened CrossFit PD together in early 2010, so that was kind of my – in 2009, I started CrossFitting, and then we opened the gym in 2010 hardcore CrossFit, man. Like I don't think I ever trained with as much volume in my life as I did those first like three years of CrossFit. Cause it's just, you gotta, you gotta get good at everything. So, um, I remember two or three times a day was just the normal, you know, six days a week, um, skill work, strength work, conditioning work, all the different things. And, uh, like many people, it kind of eventually led to a little bit of burnout and um body and mind started to break down a little bit so um had to kind of switch it back and uh it's funny because coming out of kind of the the burnout from crossfit what got me back to getting right again was that abbreviated program i went right back to my roots and uh almost followed an identical program to what i did in 1997 through 2000 when i was playing basketball just two times a week, full body style training. And uh, it took me about six or eight months of doing that before I finally got my body back to feeling good again. And uh, that's kind of when I began coming up with the evolved training system uh, concept, which is my personal brand right now. And uh, it's a cool little hybrid mix of a little bit of bodybuilding, a little bit of strength and power lifting style work a little bit of olympic lifting and uh just a little bit of conditioning work as well something that you you touched on briefly that i think a lot of people miss out on is before you ever got into the whole crossfit thing and chasing competitive dreams and the aspirations of that and chasing your tail there you had already built a strength base how do you handle that conversation with you know for instance you ran a gym at one time and i'm sure you had tons of athletes that would come in and would want to jump right into the competitive sphere. And I have this conversation with some of my athletes all the time. And I'm like, look, we need to build, there's an entire base that we have to build before we can ever have that conversation. How did, how did you approach that conversation with athletes that you train? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, it was part of our initial conversation when we had people come into the gym. Um, I was very transparent with, with all the members about kind of what my background was and, and even some of my hesitations coming into CrossFit. So um, I remember Anders trying to get me to do CrossFit 
before I, before I ever even really knew much about it. And he would be sending me like workouts on email, you know, do Fran, do Cindy, do Grace. I think those were my first three. And, um, and I was in a Globo gym trying to do these workouts. And then he was like, what'd you think? You know? And I'm like, yeah, it was really fucking hard. But like, <laughs> so I think that what I really want to do is like to make sure that I, that I can get strong too. And, and I had this, this belief pre-CrossFit that CrossFit was only Metcons. And yeah. I think that that's what kind of the pervasive sense of it was, what the media was putting out there and what you would see online when you'd go to CrossFit.com back in 2009, 2010. Like it was mostly Metcon work. And on the days where there was strength work, it would be like overhead press, three, 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 three. Yeah. And you're like, wait, yeah. that's the workout of the day. Like I'm just going to overhead press like three sets of three and then go home. So I think I had a, an issue with the way that CrossFit was being relayed to the general public. So when we started our gym, we, Anders and I both talked and we were like, look, we need to have a strength work component. Like strength work has to be the default. And um, initially, you know, we always told people we have a strength bias. That was how we kind of defined it. Yeah. Um, so at least three days a week, we would always start our days with strength work. And usually there would be like a part A, B and C, Part A and B would always be strength work. And then there'd be a short Metcon in part C. And then we'd have one or two days a week where, you know, there'd be like a team workout and it would just be conditioning or there'd be like a longer kind of 20 minute AMRAP style workout. So on those days we didn't do the strength work, but you know, we always made sure that our clients understood that, that there would be strength work and that you would build this strength base and that there would be progressive nature to it. And you would have to track these metrics and, you know, try and make sure that you're getting stronger uh, week to week, session to session, et cetera. And that's a conversation that I've had a lot. Um, we've done this for, for years and years in my gym and I, and I do it obviously in my individual programming is strength is always a focus 90% of the time. And then conditioning is, I'm going to say secondary, but like a, like a soft secondary, like it's something that obviously is important, but um, you can't, you know, you hear James Fitzgerald talk about like not being able to express power without um, having a base first. And he always jokes around like, Hey, you want to get in good shape, do bodybuilding and run on the side. Um, and that, and that's, uh, within an hour time frame, I try to essentially give people that. And we always have our people that fight against us. Like I should feel broken down and dead from a conditioning workout every day. How did you approach that conversation with people? Like, look, you're not actually going to beat the crap out of yourself every single day you come in here. And some days you're going to walk out of here not feeling dead. Like how do you approach that conversation with your clients at the time? Yeah, I think in the beginning that was really hard because I think that I was also in the mindset that I wanted to feel dead at the end <laughs> of the day. Um, which is really hard to when I know when I know that it's important that somebody have a strength base um, before going there. But then they see they see me and Anders and the other coaches, you know, training at three PM before our four PM class. And at the end of the session, we're both, we're all lying on the ground doing dead animal thing. And then we're like, bro, that was like the hardest shit I've ever done. So, like, good. You know? so they see us doing all that and they're like, well, I want to, I want to do that too. Um, so it was a hard conversation. And honestly, I don't think we had it as much as we should in the beginning. Um, I think the, the bigger conversation that we'd have with people was they'd be like, they'd be like, why am I not seeing the aesthetic improvements that, that I believe I should be seeing at this point? And I'm like, well, we are holding you back on the amount of weight that you can do in, call it grace. Like you're doing 30 clean and jerks for a time. Mm -hmm. Like 
no, I'm not going to let you do Grace RX when your power clean is being caught with like straight legs and a, a, a lean back like you're doing the Bernie and your elbows are facing your toes. Like you're not going to be allowed to do heavier weight. So, you know, somebody that's doing 30 clean and jerks for time with an empty barbell, they're not going to get many results from that. Like that's just kind of going through the motions for them. So there has to, if I could go back and do this whole, starting a gym CrossFit gym thing again, and the initial conversation with clients, it would all be very different. Um, but I think that ultimately our conversation always originated with putting in the majority of your effort into the strength work portion of the day, and then using the part at the end for what it is, which is a conditioning component and not trying to build strength through conditioning. So um, if somebody does their 30 cleaning jerks with an empty barbell and then they finish the workout and they're like, why aren't I on the ground dying? Like you guys are, then we would say, why don't you go over and meet Mr. Assault Mike and we'll spend five minutes there and see how you're doing at that point. Yeah. So that's a, that's a conversation I've actually struggled with. And, you know, we talked a little bit before about, uh, yeah, you know, we do CrossFit at my gym, but secretly I'm sprinkling, sprinkling in as much bodybuilding and powerlifting based stuff as I can. So with all that being said, what would you like, when we take a look at the group fitness atmosphere now and like what a lot of CrossFit gyms or, you know, boot camp gyms are doing, like there, there, there are some pitfalls in there, obviously, but before we talk about the pitfalls, like how would you, if you were to go back and do it now, like, do you still own the gym? I own a small piece of it. I'm not actually involved with, uh, with the day to day anymore. Okay. So if you were to go back and do it all over again and be able to start from scratch, like how would you, what do you think would be a good approach for like uh, the best case scenario, 60 minute group class? Yeah, it's funny. I actually, I'm, I have this little uh, pipe dream in my brain of, of wanting to open up an evolved training style uh, branded gym, kind of my, my new current brand. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, I don't necessarily know if I want to be the guy to coach all the classes, but I definitely want to create the template on how the classes would be run. So this is yeah. a cool question. Um, what I absolutely want to do is make sure that the majority of the training sessions are, um, are strength-based. So not even just like, you know, we have a, we have a six day week. I don't just want three of the days to be more strength-based. I think that, um, it's important that a strength component starts each training day. So if we have six days, I'm absolutely, first of all, not letting people come six days. If they want to come six days, then at least two of those days, eh, call it one, at least one of the days they're going to just sit on a bike or a rower for a little bit, probably two for most people. Um, but I think in general, um, warming up, I think is overdone. I think you waste a way too much time in, in a group class warming up uh, 15, 20 minutes sometimes before you even get any weight on a bar. And I think that that's a factor of the CrossFit model, which is that there's so many explosive and awkward movements that you need significant mobility work to prepare for. But if you're going into the gym and, and you're doing slow compound barbell and dumbbell movements, I very much think that 15 to 20 minutes of warming up is overkill. Um, agree, agree. I had conversations with a lot of people about this and, you know, almost all people that have been around for a while, I'm like, how do you warm up for back squats? Um, maybe like a couple minutes of foam rolling, a couple air squats, and then 
empty bar for 15, 135 for 10, 225 for eight, and now I'm ready to go, you know? So like if I go into the gym, I'm, I'm ready to back squat my working weight within 20 minutes of getting in there, maybe 25, depending on how heavy I'm going. And I'm squatting the empty barbell within five minutes of being in the gym. Um, so I think warming up is overkill. I think you waste a lot of time when you have 60 minutes. I think that time can be used much more effectively. So um, I think that you do like a quick five minute warm up, and then you get to the movements. If we're doing, call it a push pull day and we go dumbbell bench press mixed with uh, a chest supported dumbbell row shit you only need one piece of equipment you just need a bench dumbbells so you know do a set of 15 with super light dumbbells and then do a set of 15 rows with super light dumbbells then add a little bit of weight and do 10 to 12 reps and then add a little weight and do 8 to 10 reps and whatever it is by the time you reach that set of 8 to 10 reps your posterior and anterior upper body chain is completely warmed up and you're ready to throw some weight on the bar Now you're 20, 25 minutes in and you've completed your rows, you've completed your bench press, you've done all your work sets, and we still have over 30 minutes left in class where we can move on to strength movement number two. Um, And the same approach, right? Like that's kind of where I think time can be used most effectively. And then at the end of the session, you know, I think there's a, a lot of different ways in which you can implement conditioning and, you know, you as having gone through the CCP as well, um, the energy system stuff, like, it doesn't need to be a Metcon every day. Um, I wish that my gym, when I first opened, was able to afford 15 rowers and 15 airdynes because that would be way cooler than trying to program rowing and airdyne only in fight gone bad style because you have four of them, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you know making conditioning a small portion at the end of the class or not at all, mixing up the different ways in which you do conditioning between – short like alactic intervals as well as the longer kind of map style pacing work um and then very very rarely going into that glycolytic zone um that definitely is one of the biggest mistakes that we made in first starting out in our our gym was everything was glycolytic because that's what makes you feel like shit and that's what you thought you had to do to succeed right always always that's 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 a battle that we've we've currently been fighting at my gym. Obviously, the the people that I train individually, like remotely and stuff like that, I can do whatever I want with them. And uh, those like they're obviously not my gym, so they don't know. They're not used to the old CrossFit model. But I'm a lot like you. I came up 100% all about the CrossFit life. How much can I can I make you do Fran and Grace? I literally uh, just want to hammer you every time you came in. And then as I've grown as a coach and as a professional, I've learned that that's actually not the best way. And then we have a lot of our OG CrossFitters that uh, are are fighting us a little bit when we try to change things up. I'm like, hey, we're actually going to put some intervals. You're still going to get the Metcon, but we're going to put some intervals in there so you can actually express the same amount of power every time instead of teaching your body how to die. And then mentally, like, yeah, maybe you're like, you know, mentally strong, but uh, the the question that we we have to always ask is, are we doing this to get better or are we just doing this to do it? Yeah, to feel like shit and like think we got a good workout. Yeah. So it's mad funny, right? Because how many times in the early days of CrossFit did people come up to you and be like, dude, that workout you created was like the best workout ever. I was so fucked up. Hundreds and of like, times. <laughs> it, was, it was almost like a badge of honor to be like, yeah. how fucked up can I get you from this workout? So instead of as a programmer thinking like, how can I 
most effectively periodize this plan for the next like two to three months and build your engine. It was like, hmm, how can I yeah. just like, how can I fucking kill you without training the same muscle groups in back to back days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've man, we've I've had that inter- internal struggle. You know, we for a long time we bias the um, and, and I did this myself too. Is everything was about Olympic lifting? That was the new sexy thing. I was like, everybody in my gym is going to be able to do squat snatches and squat cleans. And then all of a sudden, everybody's upper bodies and hips are getting wrecked. And I'm like, no, 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 but this isn't what CrossFit told me. This isn't what they said would happen. Um, and then as obviously, as I educated myself and um, learned more, I, I learned that that actually wasn't the best avenue to go. And then we started implementing a lot of activation stuff, a lot of unilateral work. And then all of a sudden, all, a lot, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of the aches and pains went away, both in my own training and uh, my clients too. Absolutely, man. That shit is so important. Like, well, you know, when I went on that that rant earlier about, you know, people mo- not doing enough mobility work, or I mean, doing too much mobility work, mm-hmm. that absolutely does not apply to Olympic lifting. Like, if you're going to go in and the first movement you're doing in the day is a squat snatch, you absolutely need to do 15 or 20 minutes of mobility first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Like, depending on what you're putting your body through, through and the range of motions that are required for it kind of dictate how much body prep and mobility and just kind of general maintenance work you need to do in that. Yeah. So we've definitely switched to where Olympic lifting is not the focus. I mean, you come in most like we, we on, I, I would even say we run more of like a traditional strength and conditioning template to where I do this in my own programs. I do this now with the gym too. And I'm teaching my coaches who program um, how important it is to implement like a push pull day, a bending day, or maybe going with a traditional upper lower split. And then we've really, you know, I've heard you talk about this a lot too. And I, and I would even say it, 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 you saying it influenced how I program um, about sticking with the same movements for a block of time. We'll use the same strength movements for four or five weeks. And I, and I had to tell people and, you know, we encourage them every week to go up and wait and um, how important it is. Like if you don't repeat things, you can't progress. Um, so to, to, to bridge a little bit with that, like, where did you come up with that idea or that thought of like, Hey, I think it's best. You've said multiple times that I'll use a, a back squat for, you know, eight to 12 weeks and I'll work up to a weight. So I plateau, drop back down, start five pounds heavier and work back up. Like where did you come up with that thought process behind that? And um, I mean, cause I find that it works for us very, very well. Cool. Well, that's awesome. I'm really glad that, uh, that it's been productive for you. Um, so kind of taking it all back to the abbreviated style of training that I did when I first started, um, I probably didn't change movements for like a year. Um, oh, I literally did the same six movements for an entire year. And, um, you know, you're, you're, I'm just starting out. So, so progress is super easy. I wish I could go back to being a noob again. Cause that was amazing. But, right. um, yeah, I literally just tried to get strong as fuck on six movements and, big surprise if you work compound movements it makes your whole body strong um, which is great but um kind of the way i came up with this idea was was a combination of things but a it's just kind of in my mind standard periodization like you can't start a training cycle at your maximal weight or else you have nowhere to go like you're literally just going to run into a wall over and over again and eventually your body's going to break down either with joints uh joint fatigue or just you're not going to be able to get stronger because you didn't let your body build momentum. So 
in my mind, just from all everything I've read over the years and, and all the kind of knowledge I'd gained doing training and helping other people through training, it just made sense to me. Like you must start a cycle submaximal and then you just you have to add weight or reps or volume, any of the overload parameters, um, week to week from there and to create a, to create this progressive overload. So, you know, back when uh, I started a really long squat cycle um, in 2016 or 17, and I started at 315 for five, which was at the time actually somewhat challenging. I've never been a great squatter. Yeah. So I did three fifteen for five. I think at the time my PR was like three eighty five for one. So I did three fifteen for five and uh every week I added five pounds. And I made notes um as far as how close I felt I was to failure um week to week. And as I would add five pounds each week I kept noting that I didn't feel like I was any closer to failure. So I just kept adding five pounds and five pounds and five pounds. And eventually I got up to 375 for five. And it was hard. At that point, it was hard. I was like, you know, one rep from failure. And I was like, all right, man, what am I going to do here? Like, you know, I've really kind of progressed through here and I'm, I'm at a good point right now. So do I want to like back weights off and build back up or do I just want to kind of push the threshold here and, and see where it ends up? So I made an audible call to go 385 for three, not try to push to failure. I'm really just becoming a massive fan of avoiding failure almost all the time. I almost never see a reason to go to failure anymore, um, except like on isolation movements. But anytime we're talking about like a squat or a deadlift or um, – bed over row or bench press or anything like that. So I decided to call an audible and go 385 for three. And I felt pretty good about that. So then the next week was 390 for three and then 395 for three and then 400 for three. And I think I ended the cycle. It was either 400 for three or 405 for three. I can't remember whether I got up to that final one or not because I was using kilos. But um, I basically reached a point where I was like, man, that is as heavy as I can go. And I don't think I had another rep left in me. So I, I took a week off, got out of the gym, went for walks and played sports and hiking and stuff like that. And that was the end of my cycle. Like the cycle, the end of the cycle was dictated by my proximity to failure. Um, the way that I would approach that now, a couple years later, is I would probably turn that into like a bunch of, five to six week cycles. So to like go from 315 by five to 400 by three probably took me like six months of building. I think there's probably more effective ways to do that now with the same principles still in place. Um, I think now if I could do that, I'd probably go five to six weeks of a build and then back the weights off, rebuild back up to a higher point over five to six weeks, back the weights off, rebuild up over five to six weeks. So I'd probably still end up at the same place in the similar amount of time, but I think it would give um, a little bit more structure to it and kind of allow the body and the joints to deload um, in structured periods throughout that course of, of time. Um, I don't think I actually answered your question though, which was, which was <laughs> no, how did I come to the concept, good, but it, right? I, I think you did, but it was a good rant nonetheless. Um, so it, it sounds to me like you're, you're a big fan of linear periodization. Like do you did, do you dive into any, like 
for instance, for forever, I thought it was the only way to program I used to do. Everything I did was block periodization. We had hypertrophy, we went through uh, intensification phase, and then competition absolute strength phase. And I did that, including my group programming, I did it the exact same way. Um, but it seems like you're a big fan on the, on the outside, it appears that you're a big fan of like a traditional linear periodization. Do you dive into any, uh, any of the other stuff? Like, do you mess around with any undulating periodization or any of that block periodization stuff? So first off, I think that I mix all levels of periodization. I don't see block awesome. periodization as being, um, as not having linear periodization in it. So right. yeah, I absolutely use block periodization. I think I, I try to use block periodization in the perspective of an entire year though. So okay. um, say I have three mesocycles that make up a four month period. Those three mesocycles call it a hypertrophy block. So um, I'm going to spend three to four periods. So it's five to six weeks deload, rebuild, five to six weeks deload, rebuild. That takes about four months. So now that's one block. That's a hypertrophy block, right? And then the next block might be strength block. And I'm a big fan of doing this because I think after hitting that 10 to 20 rep range super hard, that it's actually really nice to lower volume down um, but be able to kind of manifest that new muscle that you've built by then building strength. So I might drop for, for like a two to three month period. Now I might drop all reps into the three to six rep range, increase um, intensity, but not relative intensity, right? So intensity being percentage of one rep max, which is makes sense because the reps are decreasing, but relative intensity, which would be proximity to failure, may even actually decrease. I think it's a safer protocol to go closer to failure in your training if you're doing a 15 rep set than it would be if you're doing like a three rep set. 100% so, agree. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so I, I'm really a huge fan of high volume triples. So call it like six to three, eight sets of three, something like that. But I'm not like grinding to the point that that last set of three is like the bar might crush my chest at the end. Like I'm going into each one of those triples very confident that I'm going to make that triple with at least one or two reps left in reserve at the end of it. Um, so yeah, that would be block number two is let's take block number two and let's decrease a lot of that like blood pump type stuff. Let's get all that out of there. Let's now focus on a little bit of accumulation of strength. And then from there, I think you have a lot of options because now you've worked for six or seven months. You've done two blocks. I think you've opened yourself up at that point to what do you want to do in the next five months of the year? Um, personally, I'd probably go back to another hypertrophy block after the strength block and then finish with like a one to two month like metabolite block, like a lot of supersets, drop sets, um, kind of stuff like that, feel the burn. And um, I don't do a lot of that. So I think that in one to two month segments as part of a, a block periodization program, it makes a ton of sense. But I don't think that doing supersets and drop sets makes a ton of sense inside the, the other 10 months leading up to it. It's just a very exclusive technique that I use on the back end of a, a, a block periodization approach. Does that, does that answer the question? Oh, 100%. Um, I think it's cool the, 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 the people listening right now are going to get a lot from uh, they're probably going to steal some of your methods. Uh, I'm actually sitting here taking notes myself as I go. So I'm, <laughs> I'm always like a sponge. I'm trying to take information as much as I can. Yeah. Um, so something uh, that it, 
I've actually implemented a lot in my own uh, program. So for my, a lot of my background was Olympic lifting, competitive CrossFit style. And um, as I was coming up, a lot of that was like max out a lot, you know, always in the higher percentages, pushing to failure all the time. And there's all this research coming out about uh, how important it is to do to submaximal work and how important it is to leave a couple reps in the tank. And I've started using essentially a, a version of like RPE in my programming with uh, both my gym, my gym uh, clients and obviously my personal ones too. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see the turnaround of like, wow, people aren't actually maxing out all the time, but they're increasing their capacity across almost all of their lifts. And, um, I find the RPE for myself to be a lot better than the old school max out slash percentage work. What do you, why do you feel, um, I've heard you talk a lot about leaving some reps in the tank. Um, do you feel that RPE is a better method than percentage than like a traditional percentage slash max out type program? Or do you find them both, um, to be, I guess like they can both give value depending on how they're used. Yeah. So actually why I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, I've heard a couple people, do you know who Jared Feather is? Sounds familiar. He's a, a bodybuilder. Um, <laughs> anyway, he talks a lot about the way his programming style is, and he uses percentages, but he also uses RPE. So oh, cool. um, he follows the idea of, okay, we're going to go 75%, and I just want you to take 75% to three reps left in reserve. So I guess you would call that like an RPE seven. Yeah, yeah. Way of saying that. Um, so we're gonna go seventy-five percent for three reps in reserve, wherever that takes you, whatever that is. And then the next week we're gonna go seventy-seven point five percent for two to three reps in reserve. And then we're gonna go eighty percent for two reps in reserve. And then eighty-two point five percent for one to two reps in reserve. So as the percentages go up, you're also you're able to combine percentage work with RIR or reps or RPE or however you decide to say it. They're basically the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that that's super unique. And I haven't, um, I just heard him talk about this recently, but I haven't uh, yet implemented a percentage and an RIR um, spectrum into, into my programming. So I think that's something I might kind of look into implementing in, in future cycles to see how that works for myself. And then, you know, if it goes well, potentially for others. That's interesting because I've, I've uh, that's a pretty cool way to cut it because I feel like you're covering all spectrums with that. Um, I personally had a lot more success with using RPE than percentages um, here most recently. And uh, now to the point where programming percentage work can almost appear confusing to me, especially when people are using, you know, like three sets of five at 75, two sets of three at 80, one set of one at 90. Like mm -hmm. uh, when you start getting into that, I start, I start finding that like, I, I lose the pattern of like, what is the best way to progress a person in their strength and stuff? Well, the biggest problem, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. So the biggest problem I see with percentage work is that it doesn't take into account at all individual muscle fiber type. So as an example, I have extremely fast twitch muscle fiber in my legs. Like they, they burn out and fill with lactic acid so fast. Um, <laughs> When I do that neuromuscular efficiency test from, from OPEX, mm -hmm. um, you take 85% of your max and then you do a, an unbroken set to see where you end up. Right. My number is always like three to four reps. And that's 85% of a back squat. So like if you take someone that's super fast twitch 
And in your head, you're like, all right, I want you to do five sets of three at 87% or something like that. Some people that are slow twitch are going to blow through that. And they're going to be like, dude, that was so easy. Like I could have done sets of eight. And then someone that's fast twitch, like I'm going to break in half that like second or third set I do is going to be the complete failure. And I'm not going to be able to continue doing additional sets after that. So, I mean, that's like, honestly, that's where I think if, if you're going to use percentages in your programming, you have to also use uh, an RPE or an RIR gauge. I'm that slow twist guy that can do a lot of high reps with like a, <laughs> you know, a higher percentage, but you asked me to get some like absolute type uh, poundage on the bar and I have to start getting crushed. Um, always used to frustrate me a little bit too. And then I think the percentages don't really account for how you feel today. Whereas mm-hmm. like RPE, RIR can hundred percent, like, you know, for instance, I'm a dad. I slept four hours last night because my baby wants to cry. My dog wants to use the bathroom all over the house. Um, <laughs> so when I go in today and I go to train, um, if I had percentage work in my programming, like the likelihood of me hitting that are super low um, compared to a day when I got about eight hours of sleep. So that's where my my issues with um, a lot of my previous coaches and people that I learned from who use that percentage-based stuff used to always kind of throw me for a loop because I didn't feel comfortable using it with my clients. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a really good conversation because I definitely used percentage-based work uh, starting up, especially in CrossFit. Like, I never really got into the percentage-based stuff in the bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. I just never really felt like it was quite as relevant. Um, but I think in powerlifting and Olympic lifting, that's always been, like, my go-to. Like, you know, I wrote multiple Olympic lifting cycles, and they were all percentage-based. Oh, me too. <laughs> And I remember coming out with like a second draft of an Olympic lifting cycle I wrote and basically being like, all right, now I want you to use your, your EDM uh, everyday max. I wanted you to use your everyday max as your one RM because all the feedback I was getting from people was that using their, like their max, max, their true, their like their PR, it, it just, it just makes no sense. Like, you know, that's your PR because you're feeling fucking fantastic one day and in a blue moon, you go ahead and you snatch like 110 kilos. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if your everyday max is like 95 kilos. Then that 110 kilos that you snatch that day means nothing. Like if I program you a 90% snatch, you better fucking be going off 95 kilos and not 110 or you're just going to sit there like missing reps over and over again and getting frustrated. I found the percentages always mess with adherence in my programs too, because if they didn't, for instance, hit that percentage, all of a sudden the program is null and void. The, the principles aren't correct. The volume intensity frequency isn't right. When in fact that's all accounted for, but uh, we weren't taking it. The only thing that I was probably neg- negligible of then is that the percentages I was asking for may have looked right on paper, um, but it wasn't going with their, their lifestyle circumstances of that particular day maybe. And uh, that would always mess with like people adhering to the program or um, I guess believing in it in the first place. Yeah, I agree completely, man. I mean, we're on the same page here. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So let's change gears a little bit here. We've got way into the weeds of the program and I love it for all selfish reasons. Um, But for on on another selfish note, I would love to know, I heard for instance in the past that you program for like regionals athletes um, and and, and I did too. I would love to know, looking at the competitive spectrum now of CrossFit, I'm assuming you follow a lot or follow along with it a little bit still. How would you approach programming for a competitive CrossFit athlete now, knowing what you know with your uh, programming principles still intact? (laughs) Oh man. Oh man. This is crazy question. 
the the spectrum, the landscape of CrossFit is so different now. I mean, yeah. it, so I work with a couple athletes that are, I, I mean, there isn't even a regionals anymore, which is yeah, wild, but know. they're, they're right at or right outside what was the regional spectrum the last year or two. Um, and who man, you know, I think at this point to be a quote regionals athlete, it has to be your life. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I would even take on a client that wanted to compete at regionals unless they were able to do this full time. Um, I don't know that, that it's even possible for you to, to make the games and be relevant training one hour, four days a week, like, you know, Chris Spieler used to do back right, in the day. Right, right. Um, I've talked about this a lot on other podcasts, so I'm sure you, you've heard this before, yeah. but, you know, so much of what regionals athletes, games athletes do is low effort skill work. It's building technique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the equivalent that I, I always say, I always say this, shooting free throws. Basketball players just sitting there practicing shooting foul shots. And when we look at these CrossFit athletes that are training three, four hours a day, they're doing a lot of just shooting free throws. Um, that 95 pound thruster that smashes your average person at a CrossFit gym is literally just shooting free throws for a games athlete. So, um, I think that if I were to, to be in a position at this point where I'm training somebody, uh, for the games, I think that that is, uh, that's the approach I would take. You know, there'd be structured strength work, um, utilizing the periodized protocols that, that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. That would be the main focus is making sure that their body stays strong and healthy. Um, we would probably take a similar approach to the Olympic lifting. Um, I think that uh, from there, using energy systems protocols and building to whatever their peak is, um, if we assume that their peak is 10 weeks out, then I think it's easy to implement an energy systems protocol that will peak their glycolytic system for that period of time. And um, once you have the the base levels of strength and just general health and wellness aspect in there, and you're shooting a bunch of free throws by practicing these movements at, at relatively low loads or, or low effort, um, at that point, you know, you've got a good plan together and you can kind of, make it all happen in a 10, 12, 15, whatever week period of time you have to go forward from there. Awesome. That's something that with, so we at my gym and and through my coaching career, I've had the pleasure of like having some regional athletes under my wing and um, a games athlete and to see what their training was versus what everybody else thought their training was and then programming that. And then, you know, even back then to to a little bit of uh, an extent, I would still think that I need to kill them every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but now with the new change in format, it's almost like, what are we doing? Like we've got, I've got some athletes that I still work with that are, are chasing that dream. And now it just seems like the stars have to be aligned like perfectly. And then on top of that, you have to be a genetic freak on top of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm battling this internal demon right now to where like, I actually don't like somebody's like, you know, I want to compete in CrossFit. And then there's this issue of like, why, like, what do you, <laughs> what are you chasing? What's the end result that you're hoping for? Because in my head, I realized that that, uh, you know, I had Noah Olson on um, last week and he, you know, he hasn't even made it yet. And he's a phenomenal athlete. 
and then you're, you're looking at people that are chasing this dream and it's like, what are we even doing in the first place? You're going to risk wrecking your body and your joints. I mean, how many burnt out CrossFit athletes are there now that are openly talking about adrenal fatigue and um, burn injury and all the things that they went through for very little payoff. So I'm having that battle right now with myself to where, like, what are we doing? Can I, can I take on the, 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 I'm not even gonna say the opportunity. Can I take on the burden of trying to give you what you want, knowing that the likelihood of that happening and me possibly injuring you along the way is so high. Like I'm battling that demon myself right now. Yeah, for sure, man. It has to be like, like it really comes down to what their why is. Yeah. If that why isn't strong enough to resonate with you. Then I, yeah, I think you have to question whether it's worth your time and energy to put into this at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so an- another question that I want to ask you um, along that same spectrum is you're, you're, you're kind of seeing the emergence of like individualized design versus like a templated design. Uh, James Fitzgerald has been talking about it forever all throughout his CCP certification that we did. You know, obviously he's ranting and raving about, you know, assess and then find out where they are and then reverse engineer that we still, we're seeing this emergence of that, but there's a lot of people out there still putting out templates. What do you think about like, what are, what is your stance on like an individualized training program versus like a template? So, I mean, I, I also run templates, right? I, right. Uh, I have my Evolve training program and mm-hmm. the Paragon training programs that are both general templated programs for the public. Right. And uh, I think best case scenario, I hope that this program is right for about 80% of people. Right. That would be kind of my, my top line. Like, I'm really doing a great job if I can create a program for 80%. Um, because there's just genetic outliers. I mean, there's people that, you know, my program is too much volume or it's too little volume or it's too high intensity or it's too low intensity. Um, It's just so many different elements. It fits your lifestyle. It doesn't fit your lifestyle. Um, So my programs are 60 to 75 minutes, uh, four to five days a week is generally the approach I take. That's what I use for myself. That's what I've found works most successfully with people um, at this point, I don't think it would be optimal for, for somebody trying to compete in CrossFit, but for somebody that wants to feel like an athlete, look like an athlete, um, and uh, still kind of get that gym time in without it having negative impacts on their relationships or their life outside the gym. I think 60 to 75 minutes, four days a week is about the place you want to be. Um, so I think that... Um, if I can, if I can reach you as part of that 80% and mm-hmm. that's awesome, you can, you can achieve the majority of your goals and, um, and look the way you want to look paying $29 a month for, for my online program. Right. And if my online program doesn't fit you, honestly, the first thing I want to do is try and help adjust the program so that it does fit you. And, um, I've been really toying in my head a lot with trying to put out an auto-regulated generic program. And I haven't quite figured out the best way of doing this, but I think that utilizing my concept of metric-based movements is definitely the first step. And I've started putting some of these elements into my evolved program. So just last week, it was like, you know, we have metric-based movement in part A, and we have another one in part B. And then we have part C, D, and E. 
and I wrote, pick two of the following three based on uh, your fatigue level and, uh, and, and intrinsic motivation for the remaining part of the day. So, you know, there was two additional, there was one additional hypertrophy leg piece. There was one um, additional core ab sequence. And then there was a, a short conditioning piece. Uh, at that point, I give people the option of like, okay, you've done your metric-based movements. You've completed really what's the most important stuff for the day. And then you have uh, a choice from there. Do you, do you want to do the conditioning? Uh, if you don't really feel like doing conditioning today uh, and you don't want to go there mentally, then do some abs and do a set of lunges and get out of the gym, call it a day. Um, so these are kind of like the finer points of me trying to figure out this, this auto-regulation part of training. I think that there's a lot further that I can go with it. And, and, you know, there's a lot more that I can teach people as far as what they actually need. Cause you know, I'm dealing with, <laughs> you mentioned there's a lot of burnout CrossFit competitors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's probably the majority of, of the people that are following evolved right now are people that, you know, burnout on CrossFit, maybe not even, um, mentally maybe not physically maybe they just like got tired of not seeing the the aesthetic results they want there's a thousand different reasons why someone would come over to one of my programs but um i'm doing uh i'm doing a lot to try and educate them on what they need versus what they think they need yeah um and that's been a process man like it took years for me to be able to walk into the gym and do my metric based movements and then leave. Like there've been days where I squat and split squat. And then I look at whatever my next movement is and I'm like, Nope, not happening today. So squat, split squat, 45 minutes later, I'm crushed and I'm done. Like I'm out. Yeah. So that was uh, that, that's something that, you know, a lot of people could, could benefit from understanding. Something. So I, I, I 100% agree with you. Like I, I, I mean, obviously my group program that I do for people, the template, um, I run a couple of different uh, strength, small group training type things out of my gym. And then I've got some people that follow different templates essentially for me. I find that like templates, in my opinion, are great for like, you know, general health, getting great aesthetics, et cetera. Um, individualized programming I find works really well for somebody who wants a very specific result and sometimes I just don't think you'll get that specific result from an individualized training program, especially like a competitive athlete who is hammering themselves into the ground and has no coach or individualization around it to tell you like, Hey, back off today. Maybe you need to change up your training a little bit. And I find the templates to be, um, or I find individual training to work best for that type thing in the templates, man. I've, probably screenshotted four or five different times that Lori's posted up uh, the y'all's Paragon training. Mm -hmm. I screenshotted it. There was one day you programmed like it was like 60 minutes worth of EMOM, but it was like your metric based stuff in the beginning. There was some accessory work and then some skill stuff at the end. And I truly enjoy it. And I think it's pretty cool if you figure that if you, if you solve that riddle of how to put some auto regulation in your programs, um, I'd probably want to hop on the site and pick something up like that. <laughs> yeah, man. I, uh, it's, it's a process. I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I just, uh, I, I'm starting to do like a series of Facebook lives where I basically get on and just like talk free flow in my brain about like different concepts regarding auto regulation and intensity management, fatigue management. And, uh, 
volume accumulation and RPE and RIR and like all these different aspects that kind of individualize a generic program. And I just, you know, man, the more that you can just kind of get in people's heads and, and teach them to fish instead of giving them fish, the more they're just going to be able to, to benefit whether they're on your program or on their own and, you know, kind of find the model that uh, that's right for them. What we need is uh, all these really smart folks that are forward thinkers with programming like yourself, Cody, um, to keep putting out the information like you are so that all of the current experts that actually aren't very smart can be drowned out. We can drown out the noise with actually good information because you're, I, I find the stuff that you talk about is uh, anything you read in like research or any of the literature fully supports what you say or you know what other evidence-based coaches say versus, you know, well, this works because I've got 10 competitive CrossFit athletes where I'm like, you know, you got 10 genetic freaks that just happen yeah. to get good. You said it exactly right, man. Uh, the problem is that no matter what methodology you follow, whether it's CrossFit or bodybuilding, powerlifting or whatever, if you try to follow the advice of the top 1%, the people that are actually successful, the people that have hundreds of thousands of followers, like if you're trying to follow the advice of these people, what they're doing worked for them, not because it's the right thing for everybody else, but because they're a genetic freak and maybe it's right for them, or maybe they just get results because they're a genetic freak and whatever you have them do will work for them. If they look at a barbell, they're probably going to get stronger. That's, totally. that's, a, that's a battle I've been uh, fighting for a while, both mentally and uh, in conversations with clients. Because they'll come to me and I'll write them this fantastic training program, 100% individualized to them, they'll do it. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to go uh, do this, you know, I'm not even going to name drop, but this person who's got a big following on Instagram, I'm going to go do their thing. And I'm like, well, like <laughs> that is, the stuff that he's putting out isn't exactly supported by science or stuff that's actually shown to work for the majority of people, but you go ahead and do that and knock yourself out. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's fucking up the plan that you wrote. Like you <laughs> wrote this plan specifically with volume, frequency, duration, mm -hmm. like all these different elements in mind specific to them. And then they're like, yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty tough. So uh, and I didn't even jump into some of the stuff I really wanted to uh, jump into. And uh, so I'm going to try to backtrack a little bit here. So I want to talk a little bit about principles. And, and uh, Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I guess my internet's being stupid. So I wanted to jump a little bit into principles, and I completely went over this or, or jumped over this in the beginning of the uh, conversation here. But I want to get into it because I think my listeners need to hear this type of stuff. So what types of principles do you use in majority of your programming now? I've heard you talk about uh, you know, metric-based lists, but I think people want to hear like what those are to you. What do you mean by those? And then uh, I, I know for, from trying some of your workouts and stuff that you're a big fan of using bodybuilding movements and then controlled uh, intensity. You, you talk a lot about conditioning over Metcons and stuff. So uh, I'd love for you to, to, to walk me through, like when you're building out a program, what are some of the, the movements and movement patterns that you like to use within, your, within like an ideal program? Yeah, totally. Um, you had like three or four different questions in that one. Oh, no, question, I was just trying so. to pack it in. We're running out of time. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, no, totally. I may just need to have you reference uh, something if I forget where I was going with stuff. But yeah. um, metric-based movements are generally almost always going to be big compound movements that work multiple muscle groups at a time. I'm a huge fan of throwing two metric-based movements in um, generally. 
So um, as an example, my current split right now that I'm running is a uh, push-pull legs upper-lower split. And uh, I'll just walk you through exactly what I'm doing, kind of picture here. So uh, on my upper body push, okay, actually, let me backtrack real quick. I personally follow an extremely structured program. I actually have almost all my movements are are metric-based movements. They all repeat week to week. The way that I program for the general public in my templates and in the majority of my individualized programs for people are that I utilize the the metric-based movements and then I utilize variety on the back end of the workout. And the reason I do that is because the majority of people have a neurotype that isn't quite as structured and regimented as me. Um, So when I go through this right now, understand that I pretty much use the same movements all the time, even after the metric-based movements, but I'll go through this as if I'm programming for somebody that, uh, that, that needs a little bit more variety. So, um, so on push day, um, metric-based movement would probably be for me, it would probably be dumbbell floor press and uh, a lateral raise. Lateral raise is obviously not a compound movement, but I think it's an important movement for aesthetics. So I make it a metric-based movement. And then after that, generally, um, I do a weighted push-up or a weighted dip and some sort of tricep movement. So right now I'm on this this kick of doing decline, easy bar, tricep extensions. I really like the decline. It gets a nice stretch in the tricep, traction at the top. So that's my my upper body push day. Um, The movements that would repeat week to week would be the dumbbell floor press and the lateral raise. Then we have our, our upper body pull day. These are both rowing movements for me. I do a, uh, a barbell uh, seal row or chest supported row, and then a dumbbell seal row. And then after that, it's a couple bicep movements. So right now I'm working a dumbbell curl and a uh, one-arm dumbbell preacher curl. Um, but obviously those movements can be changed. Um, and if I was programming for somebody else, they, they would be changed. It would mm-hmm. be a, a barbell curl here, an easy spider curl here, whatever, different variety. And then uh, day three is legs. I've spoken extensively within my Evolve Training System group about my inability to handle um, a significant volume of axial loading, um, which would be for your listeners, essentially anything that would put stress on the spine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have an extremely low volume that I can handle there, which is part of why I think if you're doing a bodybuilding style routine, being in a Globo gym has its benefits in that you can utilize a lot of different kind of hack squat and leg press style machines, leg curls that allow you to um, overload your legs without having to also overload the spine. So given that I'm training in a CrossFit style gym right now, um, I have to be a little more cautious of this. So my leg day is generally uh, back squat and then split squat. And then if I have any energy left, I'll do some calves or some abs. Um, I would say I end up skipping them more than half the time. <laughs> I'm so guilty of that too. It's funny you yeah. said that. <laughs> I mean, dude, at least I'm not skipping squats, right? At yeah, least I'm yeah. not going like bro day bench press and then all oh, fuck squats are at the end. I'll just skip those. Um, 100%. Yeah, squats and split squats. I'm fucking fried by the end of that. And then my full upper body day. Um, so this is day four. I have a, uh, a dumbbell incline bench and a, uh, a pull up. And those are absolutely my 
my metric-based movements. I do give myself a little bit of leeway on this day. As long as I get my incline dumbbell bench and my pull-ups in, and I feel good about the progress I've made on those, I finagle around with the other movements in the program. So um, usually it's a, a barbell upright row and then a, a dumbbell fly and or um, some sort of unilateral tricep movement. Right now I'm big on the, the one-arm kettlebell tape press. I think that movement is really awesome and I can feel kind of the power and the strength in my tricep building every time I do it. So I've been hitting a lot of one-arm tape press. Um, that's my upper body day. And then the final leg day is a stiff-legged deadlift RDL hybrid. I think that the, the nomenclature that people use to define stiff-legged deadlift and RDL is confusing at a minimum. <laughs> downright unnecessary, probably. Yeah. Um, so commonly, I think that an RDL is usually considered to be a movement that changes direction above the ground and a stiff legged deadlift is usually a movement where the barbell goes to the ground. Um, I tend to think of them as exactly the same movement. So for me, I'm performing them as, as to the ground because that's the limit of my mobility. If I had better hamstring mobility, I could probably use a deficit. And if I had really shitty hamstring mobility, I would probably need to perform it as a standard RDL where the bar would change direction just below the knees. Um, and then my next movement after that is usually a hip thrust. And this is where I wish that I had access to a Globo gym where I could throw in some leg curls or some other variety of machine. But um, after squatting on first leg day and you know doing the deadlift variation on the second leg day, I just don't have a whole lot of oomph left in my spine at that point. Right. So um, that would kind of be the basis of it, man. If I... Um, if I were to try and define what a metric-based movement is to me, it's a movement that repeats every week throughout the process of a mesocycle or a macrocycle and progressively increases in either load, reps, or volume over the course of time. And um, I know you had a lot more questions following that. So if you want to remind me of where I'm supposed no, to No, no. So that, that, covered, that covered a lot of it. Uh, I guess I was trying to group a bunch of stuff into one because I knew I, I didn't want to steal any more of your time. Um, but I, I, I love the answer. What I love the most about your answer was how simplistic it was. You know, it, for those of you who don't uh, follow Brian, you should. And then uh, you'll notice that he's jacked. So when you go <laughs> look at his pictures and you realize that like, wow, his program is actually simplistic and it's evidence-based and there's not a whole lot of uh, fancy cable, fancy one-legged on a bozu ball type stuff it's very simplistic and uh you're able to achieve the aesthetics that a lot of people are chasing uh in my opinion in the first place uh so i i love the answer and i and i loved all the knowledge that was packed into that and yeah I, totally i appreciate that man and i uh i'm not like i'm not in a huge rush for time so if you want to continue this you can but um one of the questions i think that, that you asked in the initial kind of kill notes is why i believe in you know, lower duration, low volume training. And yeah, you talked uh, a little bit on it, like 60 minutes, 75 minutes versus, you know, some people train for like two hours or something crazy like that. Yeah. And so I think that a clarification there is important because, you know, if you're, if your goal is to compete in things, um, specifically performance-based sports, like you would really have to create a good argument for me to believe that you need to train over two hours a day for aesthetics. But 
Um, for performance, I understand it because of the whole notion of skill development um, and the need to, to practice these skills over and over. But personally, the reason that I believe in low volume training is more about the fact that the population that I speak to is coming from this mindset of being in a performance-based sport. So it's all about context. Like if someone was coming to me that was a noob to training or somebody that was coming from a super low volume um, training style, yeah, I, I might take a different approach to the way that I believe in how much volume you need. Um, maybe you need more than what, what you're actually currently doing. If you're a noob, then doing any volume at all is more than you are currently doing. Yeah. If you're coming from a competitive CrossFit background, that's why I'm telling you that you need less because my population of people that listen to me are generally these people that think that more, 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 more is always better. Um, so providing context as far as what people's preconceived beliefs are heading into that conversation. I think is really important. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That's something I actually personally struggled with when I came out of the competitive CrossFit realm is um, especially now that my, my business has grown significantly and doing a lot more things online and, and you know, recording uh, podcasts with uh, great thinkers like yourself. And then like this doesn't allocate a lot of time for me to train personally, but I'm able to keep great aesthetics and, um, you know, able to achieve my goals that I'm looking for with my body personally just you know, I set a clock on my watch and I'm like, you got 60 minutes, go. And then I'm able to get a great workout in. Um, but you're right. I'm not chasing those performance goals like I was before when I'd have to track practice my handstand walks and my muscle ups for hours on end. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, there's so many people I see on social media these days talking about how they're training all this time and they're putting in, you know, they're grinding and they're putting in all this time and yet I'm not achieving the, the aesthetic results that I want. And these people, like, the, the whole prevalent mindset of more, more, more being better doesn't even take into account the fact that, like, man, you only have so much glycogen to fill your muscles. Yeah. And, like, if you're training for four hours a day, then you're spending your entire time that you're not training just trying to recover. Like, that doesn't leave enough time for you to actually build muscle. Building muscle doesn't happen in the four hours that you're training. And it also doesn't happen right when you stop training because first you have to recover before your body can actually manifest that recovery into um, adaptation and create a, create additional muscle mass for you. Literally had that conversation this morning with, with one of my clients. She was like, you know, explain to me why we're doing a deload again and <laughs> in my head. Uh, you know, we had a conversation recently where she was like, you know, I couldn't get out of bed to come to the gym. And I was like, well, like, that sounds like you're probably worn out and I'm going to not hammer you anymore and, and try to facilitate you wanting to come into the gym today uh, uh, or come into the gym the next week and give your body a chance. So we, we had to go into this conversation of like, look, when we're, when we're in the gym and we're beating the crap out of ourselves, we're actually not getting better. It's the time outside of that uh, and our body essentially adapting to all that stress we just put on it. And that was a conversation literally this morning, about an hour before we jumped on this podcast here. Dude, deloads are like the world's greatest gift to yourself. Yeah. Like I, I, I straight up, like I, I suffer from the same mental issues that everyone else listening does. And every single time that my program is like, okay, we're going to deload next week. I finish up my week and I'm like, fuck it. I don't think I need to deload. I think I can skip it. This week. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think I can skip it this time and just go right back to training. 
And then I'm like, no, no, be smart, you know, do your deload like a fucking good guy and, you know, you'll be thankful for it. And there's never been a time in my life that I've done a deload week and come out of it and been like, fuck, I shouldn't have deloaded. That was so stupid. Yeah, I never should have took that time off and allowed yeah, my body to Yeah, I never should have, man. I should have just kept training hard as fuck for the entire time. And yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm now a week behind of making gains. When right. really, the truth is that I actually utilize the deload week and the craziest shit happens. My muscles fill up and look bigger and more round and harder in the deload week than they do the week prior when I'm crushing myself because I've finally given my body an opportunity to refill the glycogen stores. And you know, you come back from that deload week and you're like a different person. You go to the gym and you're like, Oh my God, I've never felt so strong. Right. Right. I hope people listen to the last 10 minutes of this podcast alone with a notepad and just start taking notes because if there's anything you take away from this conversation, is the, uh, the importance to not just annihilate yourself. I think that's probably your biggest message that you bring to the, to the fitness space is, hey guys, you can get great results, you can have great progress in the gym, it doesn't take two hours, and you actually shouldn't feel like hot garbage every single day. Yep, you're speaking awesome. it, man. Awesome. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on here today, man. I love this conversation. It seems recently every person I've had on, I could probably have like a three-hour conversation with them, so I loved it. <laughs> Well, that's great for, for your podcast, man. That's really cool. Yeah. So uh, in parting here, some people got cool questions like, you know, you're sitting at a table with this person or if you could bring one person back from the day, like some people have them. Mine are very simple. And it's, uh, again, sometimes I feel like this podcast is just me being selfish, getting to talk to people. Um, but uh, what, uh, what would you, what are your top three books that you would recommend? It could be about training or personal development. could be something you're reading now, but top three books that you have read or recommend people to read. Yeah, so um, recently I've been um, big on the uh, the Mike Isratel stuff. So um, I've been devouring the I think it's the Science Price something. Of, hold on, what was the actual name of the book? Is it the uh, Scientific Principles of Strength Training? Yeah, yeah. So that one's really good, man. It's it's well worth it, and uh, I don't even think it's that pricey if you buy the ebook. And then uh, that one's super cool. It talks a lot about the, the deloading, the volume landmarks, Mike, Mike Isertel is known for his volume landmarks, um, kind of as being able to determine what the optimal level of volume is for you at each stage of your, your training cycle. So I think that's super valuable. Um, I always reference when people ask me about books, I always talk about keys to progress, which is a book from, and I want to say it's like the 1970s, maybe 1960s, um, by John McCollum. And uh, it's kind of the stuff that got me going when I first started training in those abbreviated ways. He's not necessarily an abbreviated training author, but when you look at his book, which is really well organized and told in story-like fashion, um, the first workout program, chapter one, that he has you do as a noob is basically just a whole bunch of compact, like three compound movements on one day, three compound movements on another day done three times a week. And, um, you basically stick with that until you can back squat three fifteen for 20. So, <laughs> um, so I think he said that in his book, he's like, until you can back squat three fifteen for 20, you stick with this program. And I remember reading that and being like, man, I might never leave this program. I'm going to be here forever. Um, so that's kind of crazy. I did move on from that program before course squatting 350 for 20 but <laughs> well written book um like i said told in storybook fashion so you feel like you 
kind of are intrigued and interested in what's going on, not just from like a, a non-fiction perspective, but it has the, the appeal of a fiction novel as well. Um, so that book is awesome. And then uh, as far as personal development, uh, I'm sure you've heard this one before, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, I haven't actually. Book. Yeah, check that out. It's called Mindset. And um, it talks about keeping a different, uh, keeping, you know, positive mindset throughout all the trials and tribulations of life. Awesome. All good. Bro. I'm, 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 growth mindset. I'm really intrigued by that keys to progress one. I'd love to jump in, especially because it's more of like an old school book. Dude, um, I'm all about the old school lifting. Yeah. yeah. I even have like strength and health magazines from like the 1950s. In my <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right. So the uh, last thing I always ask people is I'm always curious how people learn. I'm very, I'm a very hands-on person. I, I can read it and look at it, but I have to actually do it to understand it. Like what is your, 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 best method of like how you consume information or content? Yeah. So I generally consume my content on podcasts. It's just the most time efficient way for me. I'm also a dad. Um, so podcasts are great. I listen to them in the car at the gym, going for walks with my son. Um, of course when he's in the stroller, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I love podcasts. And then just like you, um, you know, I can theoretically, try and pick apart these concepts in my brain as I listen to the podcast, but it's not until I get back home and I open up a word doc or an Excel sheet and I start jotting it down and then subsequently start implementing it into my own training that I ever feel confident enough to then go and try and implement it into someone else's training. Awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate your time today. We went a little over an hour and I do, I do appreciate the extra time that you gave to me, of course, too. Um, it was a pleasure, man. You asked some great questions. It was awesome. Awesome. So uh, before we leave, uh, where can people find you and, and continue to get information from you? Go ahead and do some plugs here. EvolvedTrainingSystems.com. That's my website. Um, at Brian Borstein on Instagram. If you type in Evolved Training Systems into Instagram, you'll also find me. And, um, like you mentioned, I'm partner with Lori on the Paragon performance training. That's also at Paragon performance training on Instagram. And, um, yeah, check it out. That's basically the best avenues to reach me. And, uh, if you have any questions, you can hit me up on uh, Facebook messenger DM on the IG or, uh, send me a message through the website. Really cool, man. I'm going to put all those in the show notes and then uh, so people can always obviously go and find you. Well, man, hey, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I look forward to following your, uh, following your journey online. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our show today. Before you go, do me a favor. Head on over to iTunes. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you like and love about the podcast. Tell us about guests that you want us to have on or uh, really any feedback that you have for us. We're completely open to it. Um, and then do me another favor. Go ahead and take a screenshot. Go ahead and post it on your Instagram story or your feed and tag it. I love to know who's listening to this and then um, see who's getting value from it. And then one last thing before you go. If you happen to be looking for remote workout programming or nutrition counseling, um, myself and my team are doing doing some great work with people both remotely and in our uh, gym location here in Silverdale, Washington. So um, if you're interested in that, go ahead and send me an email at Cody at CrossFit7Cities.com and we'll go ahead and get you started. Um, and again, thanks for listening today.